Released on Sunday, April 16th, 2017. This Agile Life, episode 126, Cat Killed the Wi-Fi. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello and welcome to This Agile Life. I'm your host, Amos King. And with me today is a great co-host, Craig Buchek. How are you doing today, Craig? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. It's been so long since we've been in the water here at This Agile Life that my skin's starting to dry out. Uh, Well, hopefully we can get it shriveled up soon. (laughs) So, episode three of the year. Uh, Overall, episode 126. Which yep. is divisible by three. I, I don't think that that is a... Uh, did you cast out the threes? What, what is that? Uh, so casting out the threes or casting out the nines is a way to find if a number is divisible by three or nine. So you just add up all the digits. So episode 126, you add the one, the two, and the six. And you get that's nine. That's divisible by three or divisible by nine. Cool. Cool. Well, um, I, I learned so, an, a, another math thing with nines. If you take any number, absolutely any number, and add the digits together, and then subtract that from the original number, and then keep doing that until you're down to a one-digit number, it'll always be a nine. Ah, so I think it's basically the same principle, I think. Probably. Anyway. So, it's been a long time since we recorded. Um been a couple months our our main host our founder john sexter has actually had some issues with his voice so he's not been able to record um i think we think that uh jason tice might have recorded some things that just haven't gotten published yet uh we're amos and i are hoping to get another person on with us later this week maybe he's supposed uh, to come on today but just like john he has some voice issues and uh was kind of sick today, so he backed out on us. And Jason Tice and I will probably record a, an episode or a couple episodes next week at the uh, Agile Tech Conference, which we'll talk about a little bit later, too. Awesome. Awesome. Well, so we were talking earlier. We actually started recording this once, and we got like five or ten minutes in. And, and then the cat somehow knocked the cord out of my uh, internet router. So he unplugged cat, my router. Yep. The cat killed the Wi-Fi. Yeah. Well, not just the might... Wi-Fi, but I'm actually wired in because, you know, you don't want to have any Wi-Fi problems while you're recording. So I'm wired in, and yet he still was able to foil our attempt to record. Man. That's a good cat. I think Cat Killed the Wi-Fi might be our show title. <clears throat> But anyway, we'll see if we come up with something better along the way. So we started talking about um, uh, interviewing. And, you know, like I've been interviewing a lot lately because I've had a lot of short-term gigs. And you are currently interviewing because you're looking for short or long-term gigs at this point, right? Yep. Um, So there's also been a lot of talk in the tech community about interviewing recently. Uh, you mentioned, uh, a Google study, I think. Can you, yeah, Google like did some studies of its own hiring practices and found that they, as, as, as hard as they tried, they weren't very good at it. (laughs) 
like everything that they tried, like all the puzzles um, that they used, that none of them really correlated to job performance, which shouldn't be that surprising because you don't generally work on puzzles, you know, as your job. And, and puzzles to me, uh, although they might be interesting, are, are semi-obnoxious. And just because you're good at puzzles doesn't mean that you're good at uh, at like working with customers, working with other team members, developing. So it it, it doesn't even give you a good picture of how the person's going to be. Yeah, and and the puzzles usually the the way to solve a puzzle is to either have encountered that puzzle before. <laughs> Or to just have like a, a an aha moment that you may or may not come up with. There's nothing really to, you know, prompt you to come up with the correct answer just by by thinking it through. It's sort of you have to think outside the box, which maybe that's what they're trying to get you to think. But being successful at thinking outside the box isn't very measurable, honestly. I I think that uh, being successful at thinking outside of the box comes in in spurts and probably not whenever you're nervous at an interview either. Exactly. Um, I, I mean, we could we could probably talk all hour about nervousness at interviews and how that affects people's performance and um, are there are there ways to mitigate that? Can you uh, and, can you hire someone that's bad at interviews? Well, so so in yeah, yes, I think that you can. So some companies, in order to try to mitigate those issues, um, instead of having like a puzzle that you do there, they give you an assignment to do, or you have to uh, display code to them based on some assignment that they have. Yeah, so there's some problems with that too. Um, that selects for people that, A, have code that they can share. Um, so, I mean, most of the code I write is not shareable because it's no, no. I mean, like private. they tell they tell you the they give you an right. assignment. Well, yeah, um, but that's going to select for people that have extra time in the evenings. You know, if you're, you know, if you got three kids that you have to watch at night or taking care of a sick uh, mother, you know, that's basically they're saying they don't want you because you have to find the time to do that, um, especially right, if. If you think about it, you know, how many how many places is a typical candidate interview with? And if if that number is 10 and each has a two hour coding exercise plus two hours, four hours worth of interviewing, it gets kind of ridiculous with your your free time. If you even right, have and, any. Yeah, if you have any at that point. And, that, and that's true. Like, I like that you brought up like if somebody's taking care of a, a sick parent or a sick child or single mother or single father like you are now limiting their ability to get hired by you and they may be the best person for the job and i think the same thing um outside of assignments is um asking you to hey why don't you show me some open source work that you've done and not everybody that's great gets time to do open source work either yep so, so, in so some ways, those are, are privileges there, that that some people have and some people don't. Yeah. Do you think that there are any like really tiny assignments that are okay? Um. So I did one recently, uh, and successfully. Um, it was a remote pairing exercise, and it was just a simple, you know, fizzbuzz type thing. And, <laughs> um, so. I didn't actually get to type. I wasn't allowed to type. I was just watching his screen uh, and we were test driving it. So 
um, he would tell me, okay, we want to, you know, if it's a three, say fizz. And I would tell him generally what code to write. You know, I didn't have to type, you know, tell him exact. This was uh, your interview? Like you were being interviewed or he yep, was interviewed? Yep. Okay. No. Yeah. So, um, and he was pretty good at it. it uh, he probably had been trained at how to conduct this kind of pairing interview. Um, and it, it is a, you know, it was less than an hour. It's sort of a screen. So there was a, a, a phone screen with a recruiter who was really, really good actually. And then, um, like an office manager or something or, um, like director of engineering or something like that. He did this, this pairing interview. Um, I, really I like well. that that requires you to, um, express yourself because yeah. you're not typing. And what is, yep. what is that called? Strong pairing? Uh, where everything that ends up in the computer has from your mind has to go through someone else's fingers. I think that that was uh, Lewis, uh, Lewis, Llewellyn Falco. I think I think that's correct. Yeah, um, and I, and I I think that's a great way. Like you're you're seeing somebody communicate. Uh, it takes away one part of the nervousness of oh gosh, I have to remember all the syntax too because yeah, I think I think a lot of times as a candidate we forget that we can go look at Google or we're afraid that if we have to Google something, we're, we're not going to look like we know what we're talking about. Yeah. And it was a language I wasn't um, as comfortable with, you know, it's, it wasn't my primary language. I'm, I'm rusty in the language we were using. So it, it helped with that. Um, also the fact that it was test driven um, and his IDE, he could just hit a keystroke to run the tests. I could tell, you know, if I was done bro, right away. Nice. I um, recently, you said FizzBuzz. I recently was actually asked to do FizzBuzz for somebody. Yeah. And they had seen previous work that I had done. I had already talked with them. They had heard from other people what I had done. And I just replied back, thanks, but no thanks. Like, I don't even want to take my time to, to do that. To me, it, it with, you know, 10 years, 12 years experience of... Uh, outside of college. Plus I worked in college and I actually sold software all the way down into junior high. So like 20 plus years and you're asking me to write FizzBuzz. I don't even want to take the time. I, I do actually, uh, assuming that they're going to watch me do it. Um, I, I think I would so be more okay with that. Let, let, it was like, oh. take this home and ship it to us. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a bit, that's not as good, but um, I'll, I'll explain why, I, why, um, and it'll take me a little while to explain why I'm okay with this. Um, so back in 2001, uh, I had a recruiter, a friend of mine uh, named Jim Langang. Um, he told me that to get the job, you need to convince the interviewers of, of three things. One is that you can do the job. Two is that you want the job. And three is that you can be trusted. So if you come in as a candidate and your resume basically says, okay, yeah, I'm a good programmer or uh, I'm a programmer. The FizzBuzz type thing is just to, to show that, okay, you're, you're, you're not being dishonest on your, on your resume. Um, and that you can, that you can program, you know, at least to a, a minimal standard. And it's, pretty minimal. And it's, a, it's a pretty quick filter. There are people that say they've had, architect positions that they came in and they couldn't do FizzBuzz. And you're like, how does that happen? But 
if that can happen, then we, we definitely need to filter those people out. Well, I, I think if we're looking at architect position, you might also have a person there that's been far from the keyboard for the last 10 years. An, an architecture astronaut. Yeah. Yeah. And it gets, it gets hard to remember. Um, so I, I guess, I guess my thing is, is I, there uh, are, I believe there are better ways than doing FizzBus to, to answer those, those three things about doing job. Um, and, and I, I've, you know, some people try to do it through whiteboarding, uh, which I find to be one of the worst things ever. Um, standing up there and performing at a whiteboard is not how we normally work. And like it or not, but state-based learning is a real thing. And so if all of your learning about programming is at a keyboard typing, that's probably the environment that they should be looking at you in. Can, can you explain state-based learning? I, I'm not actually familiar with the term, but I, from context, I think I know what it is. So state-based learning is where uh, you learn while doing something always. So if you listen to um, classical music in your headphones while you're learning your math and you're, you have to take a test on it, you should probably listen to classical music and headphones while you're taking the test. It, it puts your brain in a, in a certain state. Um, I actually learned about it in college because of somebody was talking about state-based learning and alcohol. <laughs> if you drink while you study, you should drink, drink while you're testing before you walk into the test, you should have a drink. Um, that sounds like a was, great idea. No, they were really saying how horrible it is for you to, to drink and study was what they were trying to tell us. But all they really told us was make sure you're drinking while you're taking your test. Nice. Um, but but it's the same thing whenever you, you come in. If, if all of your experience is sitting at a keyboard and it's not as much of writing on a whiteboard, it's not going to do you as good. And I know that maybe writing on a whiteboard, diagramming might be a better thing if you really feel like you need to do a whiteboard. Because... We do have meetings where we might draw some stuff on a board, but you're really not going to write all of the code and get it nitpicked out. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of good and bad interviews I've had that involved whiteboarding. I can only think of two good instances, and I can't think of any bad instances. One was coming up with a regular expression for um, uh, an IPv4 address. Oh, fun. Um, <laughs> um, and, and I didn't think it could be done, and so it was kind of fun doing it <laughs> on the spot. Um, so that was kind of cool. And I was able to derive it basically. Um, and the other one was, um, and, and this was a weird thing for the position because it was sort of a system, system admin position. Um, but he had me design a redundant uh, web infrastructure. Um, you know, so you've got load balancers in the front uh, you've got some web servers, and then you've got um, uh, like databases in the back. Um, but he also was talking about um, network equipment. You know, what kind of network equipment would you between put between the web servers and the database servers to make sure that if one of them went down, your site would still be up. But you were diagramming. Yeah, just diagramming. Yeah, you, you so, weren't trying. You weren't trying to write code, which I think is a big difference. Um, yeah. And and recently, I actually ran into a GitHub repository called Hiring Without Whiteboards. And mm. you, if you're a company that doesn't use whiteboarding in your software, um, 
position hiring, you can go in and add your company to this list. <laughs> and um, there's there's even a little bit uh, about like at the top of that on why they believe um, whiteboarding isn't isn't great. So I don't know. It's an interesting list. I thought about adding my company to it um, <laughs> because I I really hate whiteboarding uh, as as a form too. Like I actually like half this list of stuff that we came up with. I really don't think works great. Puzzles, assignments, whiteboards, uh, sharing open source portfolios. I, I don't I don't think we talked um, about puzzles. Let's talk about puzzles. So okay. this this was a big thing with Google until about a year ago. I think um, I think we did talk about this. We brought it up. Anyway, that's all right. We talked about it again. Maybe um, we didn't. I think that was before we the cat knocked the thing out. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, the, the cat and the thing and the Wi-Fi. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, they've got puzzles. How many ping pong balls fit in a bus? That kind of thing. And the the problem with that is that okay, yeah, they're trying to see if you can think out of the box, but. A, it's usually just, have you seen this problem before? Um, and even if you haven't seen it before, what are, what are your chances of coming up with this without without some help? And, and how do you give help on a puzzle? So And under pressure, too. So Google, yeah, um, you're nervous, you're under pressure, you've got a limited amount of time, uh, you don't get to spend any shower time on it. Um, you know, people think of things in the shower more than when they're under stress. Um so Google actually did some correlations between like the puzzles and uh, job success, and and there was no correlation actually. Um, I, I think if we did studies, we'd find almost no correlation between almost any interview practice and um, job performance. Um, yeah. So so what what do you do to interview then if if you're finding out that there's little to to know um, correlation. I, I, there are a few practices that I like to do. Um, I, I would say, first of all, that most of your candidates, hopefully a lot of them are word of mouth by people that you already work with, but yeah, then you also get a, you also get a little bit of selection bias, right? Yep, like definitely. I, I, most of the people in my friend circle, because of where I live, um, I, I don't get to interact with, very many people that aren't a whole lot like me. So, so that makes it hard to, to diversify my group. Yeah. And the school you went to was very undiverse. Was, that's true. There were eight guys for every girl, I believe when yeah, I was I there. So, um, uh, so one of the, the examples I like to say, let's say you're hiring an actor for a movie. Do you have them, whiteboard about how they act do you have them talk about how they act or do you actually have them act to see how they act and see if that they would fit what you're looking for i, I mean obviously you're going to have them audition and, and actually do some acting and and not and and not just by themselves you might have them monologue once or something like that yeah but yeah you're going to have them interact with the other people i, they, I actually um heard before uh, that the first three rules of making a great movie are casting, casting, and casting. Hmm. And so I, I think that that very much applies to a team. Um, John, oh my gosh, I can't remember his last name. I'll try to put it in the show notes. Um, he uh, 
uh, owns an agile company up in St. Louis and, and gave a talk at agile dev East. So he was actually on our podcast from agile dev East. If you go back a little bit, um, and he, he talked about this. He was an actor, professional actor for a while. And that that casting really applies. So then if that if that is the case that you're going to cast like a, a director to a movie, you might have them do a little bit of their own monologue. And then you're going to see how they interact with the other people that you might cast and do readings. So what are some of the things that you can do to see how they're going to interact on the team? So I think my favorite, although even this has its issues is, is actually working on some problems. Um, so to that, that are actual problems that the team is facing or has faced. Um, now, depending on your lawyers and the, the code you're working on, you might not be able to work on real code. Um, if you're working on real code, then it might not actually be a job interview. You might need to pay them. Um, also, your customers or whoever is paying for the code might not appreciate someone that hasn't signed all the appropriate agreements or who's not actually an employee. Not. I'm know, cool to sign a one-day contract with somebody and just work with them for a day. <laughs> yeah, actually, I, I think the number of companies that, that have a one-day paid interview process is pretty slim. Um, but I, I would kind of prefer it to work that way, actually. Because um, you are having way, to be off work for that day. Right. If you're if you're in a, uh, a financial situation where you can't really take the day off, let's say that this is your first programming job and um, the last six months you've been unemployed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Then, then a paid interview is a fantastic thing for you, and probably pretty cheap for the company. It's better to get something back. I mean, you even get four dollars a day or something like that for doing jury duty, right? <laughs> I think it's like twelve or something. That's still I, pretty, I, pretty. I think ridiculous. it depends on where you live. I think yeah, it's four down so. here. Oh man, you're in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> um, um. So so, anyway, so pair, you know, pairing is yeah. a good way then. Yeah, well, if your team pairs, then you should definitely be pairing on on an interview, at least an hour or a couple hours. Um, even that sometimes is a little hard to to tell. Um, honestly, I'm starting to become of the opinion that you should basically hire based on the resume. Um, that if the resume has made it to you, then they're probably a good candidate. And that the interview should just make sure that they're not exaggerating or lying and, and that you can trust them. Um, I, I think I could probably be successful with, you know, one hour in-person interview based on that with a few basic questions um, plus a resume that I thought was, was good enough. Yeah, I, I think that's okay as long as you try to make sure that they meet as many people that they're going to be working with as they can. Um, well, yeah, they probably have... <laughs> Hopefully they have questions and want to understand if the job is right for them. If well, I'm if I'm a candidate, I am interviewing the company just as much as they're interviewing me. And, 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 and I come prepared this, with questions. And the uh, the other people on the team are going to have questions too. Like every, I think every individual on a team needs to have a little bit of say so and buy in to who they're going to work with. Um, I mean, ultimately, that, that it depends, might be but one person's should, decision. But if you have a 10-person team, they're going to have to work with these 10 people. 
and one person just gives the yes or no, planting somebody on a team can be pretty pretty tough on them. Well, I, I feel conflicted on this because, yeah, most of the time you hire someone for a team, but that person's not going to be on that team forever in that company. They're going to float around to different teams. Um, so it, on the other hand, when there's a, a team that interviews and another, and they're not the hiring team, that, that can also be a problem. Um, but the fact that you would have to have everyone on the team approve a candidate is sort of, you're going to get that selection bias again. Well, I'm not um, saying that it's a hundred percent, but if you have 10 people on a team, uh, that's a big team. You have four people on a team. Mm-hmm. And you're getting ready to add one, and you have four people who talk to them, and you get three thumbs down and one thumbs up. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it might like that's what I'm saying. It's like maybe maybe there's a reason. If you have ten people on a team and you're adding one, maybe it's not a majority, or maybe you say you could have two dissensions or something like that. Mm-hmm. But but there's there's a little more. And whenever you come onto my team. If I've given the okay for you, I'm a little less apprehensive about you. I already have yeah. built some level of relationship with you before you ended up on my team working that day. So uh, I worry a lot about bias. Um, and sometimes when you have the team making the decision, Sometimes you'll get a no just based on a feeling, and I don't. I don't trust a no based on a feeling. I trust a yes based on a feeling. But if you're a no, I need to know why you're a no. What what's wrong? And and it should be. It, it shouldn't be subjective. It should be, you know, this person. I didn't feel like they could do X. Uh, not like I didn't like them. I don't feel like they would be a good part of our team. Um, you know, they're they're non-communicative non-communicative or the combative yeah sure the, those are fine but i i need specifics if you're a no um i i guess i'm kind of saying you should bias towards hiring the person um instead of being biased to not hire the person i i, I can see that so is um, there in any way that you can uh I think that recently I've been reading a lot about um, teams doing code reviews as the the selection, as the interview process, yep. um, so that the candidate is not writing any code. They're just looking at code. Hmm. And you could even get some feedback from the team. If you, didn't, if you were worried about that selection bias, you could get feedback from a team by having them review like they would on GitHub or something else, like a written review, so they never mm-hmm. actually see the person. Then you get to see how the person communicates, how they're going to interact with people, their opinions about the code, um, and how they express those opinions. Yeah, that's pretty good. The other similar one I've heard is that you have them write some code, um, something <laughs> more complex than FizzBuzz, uh, you know, spend an hour before, um, you know, doing a homework assignment, basically. And then when you come in and do the in-person interview, you basically code review your own code uh, with the team. Uh, I find that interesting and that you have to be able to critique yourself. 
uh, sort of the, you know, yesterday me, day me was an idiot. Today I can do better than the code I submitted yesterday. So I, I kind of like that. Um, I'm not sure about <laughs> code reviewing, making the candidate code review someone else's code. That's a bit problematic, but it's also got some really positive things like how do they communicate bad news to someone? Yeah, I, I think that it's worth a try. Yeah, um, yeah I'd be okay with that. I, I also, if you are going to have the candidate write code, I would like to have everybody else code review them. And then have the candidate respond to their points and see how that goes. Because, I would say if there the, are people who can give great criticism yeah. and work on a team that way, but they can't take any themselves. Even if it's like, hey, can we give this an attention revealing name? I've seen people <laughs> like really break down yeah. over that. I would be careful with that, that the code reviewers aren't jerks. Because well, a lot of code reviewers are jerks, <laughs> or or especially like on GitHub pull requests, it's really easy to not be sensitive of, of the person's feelings. Um, so yeah, I'd have to be careful with that. But yeah, I think I think it could work. Um, and I just want to go back to the Agile Dev East guy. Uh, is John Cruson while I remembered. <laughs> so an- another thing I think this is wrong with hiring is um, I think we skew for not hiring too many people, but the way to <laughs> sort of counteract those problems are you need to be able to fire people. So I know that sounds weird that firing should be part of the hiring process, but it, it should be. You should be able to correct a mistake that you've made with hiring um, now if you didn't hire them it's really really hard to correct that mistake <laughs> uh, but if you did hire them it's fairly easy you let them go maybe you put them on a 30 60 90 day probation period um, and if it's not working out then you give them I don't know a month or something to, to find something while they're still you know employed so, um, so as a business owner I kind of have a problem with this yeah, I would rather spend a whole lot more time hiring than hiring the wrong person and then having to let them go. That's a very expensive thing. It actually would cost more for me to hire somebody for three months and find out that they're really poison. Well, here's than the it thing. Would be, you're you're than not going to learn that. To wait. I, th- I think that you can get a better sense even even as would, the process goes now, you will hire those toxic people. I it, it happens. Yeah. And and but how do you fix that? And I think that if I'm going to do that, I'm going to sign a contract with them, a very short term contract, because actually making them an employee is an expensive process. And thing like as as a business owner, I have to pay unemployment on you. So I bring you in for three months. I pay mm. unemployment on you. I only have to pay unemployment on you up to the first certain amount of money that you make a year. After mm-hmm. that, there's no more unemployment. So now I go through and I hire four people a year because of that. I've quadrupled my unemployment budget mm. because normally I've paid it in the first three months. Mm-hmm. Um, so the contract to hire is, is pretty popular. <laughs> um, yeah. 
but that contracting overhead is pretty high when you go through contracting firms. Um, I suppose if you had them 1099 directly with you uh, for a short term. Um, so Zappos has a really interesting thing where I think it's 90 days in. I'm not sure. Um, they offer you $5,000 to leave. Um, just no questions asked. You know, if you don't love this job enough to stay um, for $5,000, then then you should go. Um, I think that's a pretty good idea. Um, I've heard of a, a local company actually that had that similar idea, but um, the <laughs> it wasn't a written offer. It was coming to my office. I'm going to give you this offer right now. You need to tell me right now, um, which was um, sort of daunting to the person that had to come into the CEO's office, and they felt like it was a trick. Oh, not me. I would totally be like, nope, I don't want the money. Not five thousand dollars. That's not enough. Well, I mean, five thousand dollars if it's a fifty thousand dollar year job. It's you know significant. Well, that, that's, I'm that's talking true, about that type like, of like, like let's say it takes me a month and a half to find another job. Well, I, so I, let, I would much rather tell you let's say no it's a significant and then go look amount. for a job. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> well, then you don't get the five thousand dollars though. Well, I know, but I have another job before I leave well, you. Well, let, let's say it's a significant amount of money, though, that I, I don't know. Uh, I think it can be a good tool, but I think it can be abused as well. I, I still think that that firing is an important part, though. You kind of didn't, you kind of poo-pooed that idea, um, but you I, have to. It, so if you can't fire that if you won't fire, let me rephrase that, if you won't fire that toxic person, you're going to lose good people too. It's and, going and to affect It's going to affect your future hiring. It's going to affect your retention of good people. Um, and sometimes it's not that it's a bad person. It's just it's not the right position for them. And, and I'm not saying don't fire people yes if you need to you need to be able to do that and it's a crappy part of business but you are gonna at some point end up with a a person that is toxic for your company or your team or whatever and it's if you can find them a new place within the company like if it's just they're not good on this team maybe you can move them to another one but if they're generally toxic person yeah you, you have to let them go nobody likes to talk about that yeah, you. But what I'm saying is, if you hire based on oh, I can just fire them, is that is an expensive prospect for a company? Well, well, yeah. I'm not saying just hire everybody. I'm saying be a little more um, leaning towards hiring someone where you're you don't have any significant doubts in your mind, but you've got some small doubts in your mind, um, and and have reasons for no's, like I said before, instead of just a feeling of of uh, I'm not sure. Um, so you actually, when you were my team lead, you were good about kicking people off your team. And that's probably why that team became such a good team. Um, now the company wasn't that great about letting people go. Um, but I've heard that that company actually is, has instituted a, like an annual calling of, of people that weren't, aren't working out. So I find that interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that I think it's something that you need to do. You need to reevaluate everybody that's working with you and see if they're still good. Because even somebody who's been there five years, 
could be toxic, could well, become toxic. Yep. They maybe they got burned um, out or had a bad yep. situation. Yeah. But and and now uh, if you have somebody that's toxic and you haven't discussed that with them over and over and tried to figure out why and help them, then you're also failing. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I have I have like no time left because I have to go pick up my daughter from school. So I think that we're gonna have to end there and and let the conversation move over to our Slack channel. This week's hottest picks. Uh, my first pick this week is a book uh, by Sandy Metz and Katrina Owen called Ninety Nine Bottles of Oop. Um, it walks you through basically refactoring, uh, and, and I, I think it's uh, all Ruby, uh, but object oriented programming to basically come up with strategies for finding the best program you can. Um, it's a great book for um, refactoring. I haven't worked too far through it yet, um, but it's very interesting, the parts that I've seen so far. I also uh, bought that book. So it is currently just an ebook. Um, they're considering making a paper copy, but it uh, just was released finally like a month or so ago. Um, my second pick is um, to come to my workshop at the Agile Alliance Tech Conference next week, or this coming week, actually, for listeners. Um, it is, uh, my talk, I believe, is on April 20th, uh, 21st, uh, Friday. So the conference is in Boston uh, from April 19th through 21st. Um, my talk is called Smaller. And it's mostly about refactoring, story splitting, shorter iterations. Basically, everything we do should be smaller. Nice. Feedback. Feedback. Also smaller. Feedback cycle. Ah, short, shorter. Well, feedback cycles. Yeah. All right. Um, and then we're done to my picks. I only have one, and it's a shamelessly self-promoting pick. Uh, but it is the Live Like a Hippie talk that I gave at Elixir Days, and Elixir Days was a fantastic conference. Uh, I w- was pretty nervous to do my talk, and but I didn't die, and everything turned out okay. So go ahead and uh, have a listen. Give me some feedback. Let me know what you think. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of Agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.